Hello, everyone, and welcome to the December 5th edition of WorkCom Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarn, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The Court of Appeal has decided to publish the Dorset decision, which enhances an employer's opportunity to obtain apportionment. So, one might ask, what is the significance of the change from unpublished to published? The legal principle of stare decisis is a rule of law that says a decision made by a higher court is binding precedent on a lower court. Using this doctrine, law is created on a case-by-case -case basis, each case adding to what is known as the common law. In California, this long-standing doctrine has a particular nuance. There's an overabundance of appellate decisions, many of which do not establish any new principle of common law. Instead, many rulings simply affirm existing law and well-established law. For that reason, decades ago, the California court system adopted court rules that would allow appellate judges to make a distinction between appellate decisions that are precedent-setting and those that are not. If not, there is no point to publishing a case that does not establish any new rule of law. This rule is stated in California Rules of Court Rule 8.1115. The rule provides that an opinion of a California Court of Appeal that is not certified for publication must not be cited or relied on by a court or a party in any other action. But the California Rules of Court do not apply to cases before the Workers' Compensation Appeals Board. The WCAB has its own set of court rules and does not have an equivalent rule that makes a distinction between published and non-published decisions. Hence, unpublished Court of Appeal cases are nonetheless published in the LexisNexis publication known as California Compensation Cases. And once published in Lexis, these cases are cited regularly at the WCAB level, presumably as authoritative law. The problem is that once litigation leaves the WCAB level, an unpublished decision of the Court of Appeal runs afoul of the California Rules of Court. A workers' compensation case in litigation may rely on an unpublished opinion as authority at the trial level and also at the reconsideration level before the WCAB. But beyond that, the unpublished opinion is no longer authoritative law at the Court of Appeal or before the Supreme Court. This quagmire explains why it is significant when a Court of Appeal decision becomes officially published, even though the unpublished version may appear in workers' compensation literature. In the Dorset case, the Court of Appeal ordered Benson apportionment in the 100% case of State Fund versus WCAB and James Dorset. Dorset had suffered two sequential injuries at two different glass companies and was declared totally disabled. The work comp judge attempted to lump the two cases together and rate them as one, stating, that the two injury claims are inseparable as one being a compensable consequence of the other. He held that it is appropriate to make the award jointly against both. The Court of Appeal reversed in what was an unpublished opinion that reiterated the successive injuries to the same body part that become permanent and stationary at the same time can no longer be rated as a single injury. This is good law for employers, but was, however, an unpublished opinion. Fortunately, on December 1st, the Court of Appeal decided to publish the Dorset case. They added the following language to their opinion. Petitioner and the California Workers' Compensation Institute 
which is not a party to this action, have requested that our opinion, filed on November 10, 2011, be certified for publication. It appears that our opinion meets the standards set forth in California Rules of Court Rule 8.1105C. The request is granted. The opinion is ordered published in the official reports. This amended opinion elevates the authority of the Dorset decision from simply persuasive to now authoritative law. It is clearly now controlling law on all workers' compensation judges and the WCAB commissioners. The County of Santa Barbara prevailed in the Court of Appeal after they invoked the California Workplace Violence Safety Act to protect some of their employees. Here's what happened in the unpublished opinion of County of Santa Barbara versus Kate Smith. Kate Smith purports to be a whistleblower activist who exposes government corruption in a self-described hard-hitting, pull-no-punches way. Smith also claims that she is entitled to special accommodations under the Americans with Disabilities Act because she is mentally ill and a sacred activist. The County of Santa Barbara filed petitions in the Superior Court under the Workplace Violence Safety Act to enjoin Smith from threatening four of its administrative employees. The trial court granted the petitions based on three days of testimony that Smith was harassing the employees and engaging in threatening conduct. Each of these employees testified about repeated incidents of abusive and confrontational meetings with Smith. During the trial, the judge noted that Smith bullied all four of them while they were in court. The court further concluded that she has a hard time controlling outbursts, even in the courtroom, where she knew that everyone is looking at her and her words are being taken down by the court reporter. The trial court ordered Smith to stay 15 yards away from the four county employees. Smith was also ordered not to enter the county administration building where they worked. Smith appealed this order to the Court of Appeal. The Court of Appeal sustained the order in the unpublished opinion of County of Santa Barbara versus Kate Smith. The Workplace Violence Safety Act authorizes an employer to seek an injunction on behalf of its employees to prevent threats or acts of violence by any person. The grant of injunctive relief rests in the sound discretion of the trial court and will not be disturbed on appeal absent a showing of clear abuse of discretion. The act provides that a credible threat of violence is a knowing and willful statement or course of conduct that would place a reasonable person in fear for his or her safety and that serves no legitimate purpose. Imminent lawlessness action is not required. Smith argued that her threats were not clear, explicit, and unequivocal. County employees, on the other hand, said she told them she was trained in martial arts, that she was mentally ill and suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder, and that she intended to bring weapons into the building. Appellant was verbally combative if a county official was not available or staff did something she did not like. Thus, the trial court did not abuse its discretion in granting the injunction. The court also rejected her First Amendment argument. Smith claimed that the injunction violates her speech rights because she has been ordered not to enter the county building where the Board of Supervisors conducts public meetings. The trial court properly concluded that Smith's speech activities do not trump 
the safety of county employees or the county's duty to provide a safe workplace. The Court of Appeal, in a docket entry, denied the request of Larry Hamilton to force an expedited hearing in his complex case. He sustained industrial injury in 1984 while employed by Toyota of Poway. His workers' compensation case was assigned to work comp judge Smitter, who heard testimony and issued various findings and orders. In 2001, Judge Smitter issued an order approving compromise and release. In 2010, Hamilton filed a declaration of readiness to proceed and a petition to reopen. He sought to void the compromise and release agreement, annul the 1988 award, vacate prior stipulations, and obtain temporary disability benefits, penalties, attorney fees, and an award of total permanent disability benefits. The case was set for hearing before work con judge Harwain. Respondent, California Insurance Guarantee Association requested that the case be transferred back to work comp judge Smitter because he had previously taken testimony and issued orders in the case. The case was reassigned to judge Smitter and a hearing was set for March 2011. But that hearing date was canceled and the matter was set for hearing for November 29, 2011 before judge Harwain again because judge Smitter retired. In June 2011, Hamilton filed a DOR to proceed to expedited hearings seeking rescission of the order approving compromise and release, enforcement of a 1986 award of temporary disability benefits, reopening of his case, and commutation of future payments and claiming entitlement to temporary disability benefits. The request for expedited hearing was denied. Hamilton then petitioned for removal and for an order to stay the November 29th hearing. The WCAB denied the petition. Hamilton challenged the denial of his petition in the Court of Appeal, and the Court of Appeal proclaimed in a docket entry that it cannot say the WCAB acted without or in excess of its powers or that the decision is not supported by substantial evidence or procured by fraud. The record shows petitioner's request for an expedited hearing was properly denied. His DOR to proceed to expedited hearing shows he raises complex issues that cannot be heard adequately at an expedited hearing, and the case had already been set for a full-day hearing on November 29, 2011. Hamilton claims he is seeking temporary disability indemnity, which is an issue that may be heard at an expedited hearing. However, he is also seeking to reopen his case and void the compromise and release agreement that was approved in 2001. The WCAB could have reasonably concluded that the issues are too complex for an expedited hearing and require adjudication at a regular hearing. His request for a stay of the November 29, 2011 hearing is without merit and would cause further delay. As to petitioners' petition for removal, the WCAB has discretion to remove to itself or transfer the proceedings on any claim to a workers' compensation law judge. However, this is an extraordinary remedy, available only when the petitioner has established substantial prejudice or irreparable injury if removal is not granted. Hamilton has not made the required showing. The petition was denied without a formal opinion in the case of Hamilton versus WCAB and SEGA for Fremont Compensation Insurance.
And now our fraud report. The perpetrator of the largest known California comp fraud has been sentenced by an Orange County judge. Devon Lynn Kyle of Laguna Hills has been sentenced for committing $30 million in insurance fraud. Her 10-year prison term will be stayed pending successful completion of 10 years of probation. She was sentenced after pleading guilty last April to more than 70 felony counts, including misrepresenting facts to the state fund and failing to file a return with the intent to evade tax. Kyle served two years in county jail while her case was pending. If she does not successfully complete her probation, she will be sentenced to 10 years in state prison. She was also ordered to pay $1.3 million in restitution to the EDD, and $1.5 million in restitution to the Franchise Tax Board. Her husband, Michael Vincent Petronella, was sentenced in 2010 to 10 years in state prison after being found guilty of 33 felony counts of insurance fraud and a sentencing enhancement. Kyle and Petronella owned the roofing and general building contractor businesses known as Petronella Corporation, Western Cleanoff, and the Reroofing Specialists. Their clients included the Ocean Institute in Dana Point, Pacific Amphitheater in Costa Mesa, and other commercial properties. The investigation was triggered in March 2006 when one of their employees was injured after falling from a roof. A payroll stub was submitted to the state fund listing his employer as Western Cleanoff Incorporated, which the state fund did not insure. The Orange County Premium Fraud Task Force discovered that between 2000 and 2008, the couple fraudulently submitted 42 claims for uninsured injured workers and underreported $29 million in payroll to the state fund. The scheme resulted in the state fund incurring more than $253,000 in uncovered injured worker claims and insurance premium losses in the millions. Petronella and Kyle reported $3 million in payroll to state fund while having an actual payroll of $32 million, 10 times more than they reported. When the couple was arrested in their Laguna Hills home, they owned five properties in California and Texas and multiple luxury vehicles, including a Bentley, two Ferraris, and a Range Rover. Records show they spent more than $2.1 million on their American Express credit card for personal luxury items. Also seized during a raid on their Laguna Hills home was an application for Kyle to appear on the Real Housewives of Orange County television show. And in regulatory news, the U.S. House of Representatives passed legislation that aims to provide greater support for some federal employees injured on the job and to make the federal workers' compensation program more accountable. The bipartisan bill, H.R. 2465, would streamline the claims process for those workers who sustain a traumatic injury in a designated armed conflict zone, label injuries sustained due to terrorism as war risk hazards, and provide $6,000 in benefits for funeral expenses and $50,000 in compensation for facial disfiguration. It also would permit physician assistants and nurse practitioners to certify disability for traumatic injuries and ensure that they are reimbursed for their services. In addition, it would allow the Labor Department, which administers workers' compensation, to verify federal employees' salaries against 
Social Security Administration data and to collect administrative fees from employing agencies. Legislators say that reform of the Federal Workers' Compensation Program is long overdue. The 1916 Federal Employees' Compensation Act provides compensation for wage loss and medical care for those injured or killed on the job. It covers 2.7 million federal employees and postal workers and paid out $1.9 billion in wage loss compensation, impairment and death benefits, and $898 million in medical and rehabilitation services and supplies during the 2010 fiscal year. The funds are paid out of the Employees' Compensation Fund and most agencies repay the money. Benefits have remained relatively stable at those levels during the past decade and administrative costs for operating the program accounts for about 5% of expenditures. Employees disabled on the job can receive 66 and two-thirds percent or 75% for those with dependents of their basic salary tax-free plus medical-related expenses. The 66 and two-thirds percent rate is comparable to most state systems, but many federal recipients, including those past retirement age, receive the 75% compensation rate. There is no age limit for receiving these benefits. Many have criticized the federal program, saying it is too generous and should be reformed so that employees receive lower benefits and return to work faster. The law has not been amended since 1974. And in medical news, a new study published by the CWCI shows that the use of network physicians to provide medical care to injured workers in California has continued to grow over the past five years. An MPN use now stands at a record high. The use of MPNs rose sharply in 2005, immediately after medical provider networks first became available in California workers' comp. This new report again updates the data and extends the timeline of analysis into 2010. Analysts reviewed data from claims filed by over 1 million California injured employees. The aggregate results show that overall, the use of network providers climbed from about 51% of those services for 2004 claims to just over 75% of the services for 2009 claims. And payments to network providers are consistently below the corresponding network utilization rates based on service volume. This pattern may reflect discounts frequently offered by network providers. Researchers believe that the continuing maturation of the MPN program with more comprehensive and careful direction of injured employees to network providers will increase the likelihood that a network provider will render treatment beginning with the first visit following an injury. And in other news, EK Health Services has hired claims management executive Carrie Learman as vice president of operations. As a member of the EK Health Services team, Learman is responsible for strategic planning, operational budgeting and directing, and for maintaining and planning an array of EK Health Services and programs. Her role includes direct management of the EK Health's bill review operations, utilization review, case management, and medical provider networks. With 17 years experience in the insurance industry, Learman is skilled at claims personnel, and process management. She is accomplished in managing the technical and medical legal aspects of claims in multiple jurisdictions. 
She is a former claims executive with Zenith Insurance Company and is a chartered property casualty underwriter. She has earned a Master's of Business Administration from St. Edwards University and a Bachelor of Arts in Sociology and Spanish from the University of Southern California. Blairman is from Huntington Beach and currently resides in Dublin, California. EK Health Services is headquartered in San Jose. They provide workers' compensation case management, utilization and peer review, bill review, medical provider networks, and Medicare set-aside services to insurance companies, employers, for-profits, and public entities across the country. The DWC is making it easier than ever for paper filers to switch to electronic filing. The DWC has offered e-form filing since 2008, and in June they expanded by launching JetFile, which lets large-volume paper filers file multiple documents in one transaction. The DWC is now encouraging smaller-volume filers, whether claims administrators, representatives, lien claimants, or self-insured employers, to use JetFile. JetFile was originally limited to parties with annual filing of 100 or more of any of the six most common court forms. Filers use any of three methods, third-party service, approved vendor software, or by building a transmission pipeline using DWC's technical specifications. On December 1st, those rules changed so that anyone can use a third-party service to JetFile. One 100 document requirement is now waived. Electronic filing is the fastest way to get documents into EAMS. Electronic filing offers benefits for the workers' compensation courts at large because it cuts down on the amount of paper being filed, making the courts more efficient and allowing cases to move faster. A list of approved jet file vendors offering software and transmission methods can be found on the DWC website. The DWC is now accepting nominations for its 2012 Kerry Nevins Community Service Award. The awards will be presented at the 19th Annual Educational Conferences in February and March 2012. The annual Community Service Award was renamed in memory and honor of Kerry Nevins, the acting administrative director who passed away in February. DWC Administrative Director Rosa Moran said that this award is to recognize and acknowledge those champions whose extraordinary efforts support the workers' compensation system for the betterment of injured workers and employers. Nominations should be made for those individuals who have made significant contributions to the betterment of the workers' compensation community in the highest professional manner. DWC will evaluate the nominations and honor one Southern California recipient in Los Angeles and one Northern California recipient in Oakland during an award ceremony at the Educational Conference Luncheons. State Compensation Insurance Fund announced that it has appointed Len Welsh as the head of workplace safety for the organization. Welsh will be charged with directing state fund strategies to advance occupational safety and health in California's workplaces. He will focus on developing methods for improving safety and health practices and reducing the rates of workplace fatalities, injuries, and illnesses. Len is a strong advocate for California employers and workers with over 20 years of experience as a leader in occupational safety and health. Tom Rowe, the state fund president and CEO, said that the fund is proud to have someone of Lynn's caliber and 
impressive expertise joining their team. Welsh was instrumental in implementing strategies to create safe work practices in his roles as chief and special counsel at Cal OSHA, where, among many other accomplishments, he implemented the nation's first comprehensive regulatory heat illness prevention program directed to agriculture and other industries with outdoor workers. He also oversaw adoption of the nation's only comprehensive standard to protect healthcare workers from tuberculosis and other airborne diseases. He is currently serving as special counsel to the director of the Department of Industrial Relations and will begin his transition to the state fund at the beginning of the new year. Welsh graduated from Rutgers University with a bachelor's degree in sociology and Spanish. He earned his Master of Science degree in Environmental Health Sciences from UC Berkeley and his law degree from Hastings College of Law. That's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or iPod by searching for the WorkComp Academy in the iTunes Store. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.